yourselves a hand. You got out of bed today. Come on. You deserve a round of applause. That's not for me. That's for you. Give you. I feel like when I said it was for you, you guys quit clapping. Clap it some more. Come on. Celebrate yourself today. Today we are in week three of a series that we're calling The Key to Everything. But before I do, let me just remind you that... Uh, Two weeks away from now is Easter Sunday. Like you need, a re- uh, uh, like you need to be reminded of that. Uh, but two weeks from now, and I'm not so sure how I feel about Easter being on April Fool's Day. Uh, I'm still trying to navigate that whole thing. I'm sure there'll be some funny jokes. I'm not going to do any like April Fool's jokes, but um, I just, I, I just, I don't, I actually don't like it. So, um, Anyway, I'm just going to throw that out there. However, I do want you to invite your friends um, to Easter Sunday. Again, like Tanya said in the announcements, we're, our target this year are people that um, just need to find a home. And we, the reason why we're doing that is because we believe that, uh, that there are people in here, in this room right now, that have found a home. Have you found a home at the refuge? I hope. Come on. Have you found a home at the refuge? This... The Refuge Church uh, is, a, is not like many churches in, in, in Maine and in New England. Uh, we want to, to offer you an interactive experience. We want this to be something that you can, you can applaud, you can laugh, you can cry, because you're going to cry. You can, you, can, uh, you can just respond, you can talk back, you can say amen, like you can say, you know, come on, like just... We want to interact today. And so, um, because I, I know that uh, the experiences that I've gone to are the best ones where I felt like, yeah, I just, I connected with him because I could interact while he talked. And so I just want you to know that you're welcome to interact with me today. Just don't boo me. That's all I ask. Like, if you boo me, then our security will send you out the door. So invite your friends to Easter. It's going to be a great celebration. Uh, it's going to be different than every other Sunday because I believe that if the church messes up Easter, then the church has some problems. And so we're not going to mess up Easter. We're going to do our best not to mess up Easter. And uh, just just please, just try your best to be here and not just be here but bring a friend. So um, this morning we're in week two of the key to everything. Uh, in week one, I'm gonna, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a review. In uh, week one, we talked about how everyone in life wants some form of success. Uh, we all want to be successful. And we said that we believe that the way we accomplish that success is if we are teachable. We have to learn to be teachable. And so this whole series is about teachability. We said that the way that we define Teachability is by using two words. Two words are, are desire and willingness. Those two things together is what com- like, like makes up our teachability. And so if you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, am I teachable? You look at your desire about something, you t- and then you look at your willingness about that same thing. And we're going to talk today about the characteristics of teachability that just goes a little deeper than just desire and willingness. And so um, if you're asking yourself, am I teachable? Hopefully today we'll answer that question. In week two, we talked about five roadblocks 
to teachability. That was just last Sunday. We talked about how the five roadblocks of, of teachability are, first of all, fear, insecurity, pride, pain, and pace. Fear, insecurity, pride, pain, and pace. Those are the five roadblocks of teachability. If you missed that talk, then you can go on iTunes, Refuge, Maine. Uh, we have the, the iTunes uh, podcast up there. Also, uh, you can find that on our website. Uh, and listen to any of our previous uh, messages all the way from uh, March 5th to the current date. What is today? March 18th, 2018. Um, there might be a few in there that the recording uh, may have not cooperated because we are portable and sometimes things just don't cooperate. The only thing that we ask to cooperate is you guys. And you guys do an amazing job at cooperating. So thank you for that. Um, so this week we're talking about the characteristics of teachability. And again, if you've ever wondered if you're teachable, today is the day that you'll find out if you're teachable or not. And maybe the, there may be some of these characteristics that you're like, yeah, I do that. I'm good. I'm good in that area. But maybe we get to another characteristic and you're like, ooh, I, I kind of missed the mark on that. That's okay. You know where to improve as we talk about the characteristics of teachability. But before we do, let's pray. God, I need you today. I need you to speak through me. I need you to help me to hurry up and get through these notes because the last two weeks I've been extra long and I'm so sorry for that. So God, I pray that I would be quick and to the point, but Lord, I pray that you would speak through me most of all in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm so sorry the last two weeks I've, I've been chief long wind up here and uh, it's because I got, I've got a lot of material and, uh, and again, a lot of material today and I'm going to do my absolute best to get through, uh, and God's going to help me because I've asked him to. So, in week one, uh, we said that teachability starts with desire. Teachability begins with desire. I think that, you know, all of us want, all of us have a desire for success. Um, if, if not, then um, we'll, we can talk afterwards because got a lot of other things going on that you need help with. And so success and desire, I think that we all have those things. But I think that when I, when I think about desire, I think sometimes desire begins with this word known as curiosity. Sometimes I believe curiosity can lead us to desire. And uh, we've all heard the saying, curiosity killed the cat, right? Curiosity killed the cat. But there's a second part to that saying. It's actually an old proverb, uh, not found in the Bible, not found in the book of Proverbs, but it's an old proverb that goes, curiosity killed the cat. The second part of it, does anyone know what it is? But satisfaction brought it back. Did you know that? Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. I learned that while listening to a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, so curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought, the back, brought it back. Curiosity isn't always a bad thing. I think that sometimes we think of curiosity as a bad thing. But listen, curiosity isn't, isn't a bad thing. Being nosy is a bad thing, right? A lot of times our curiosity can lead us to being, being nosy, and that's, that's not good. Now, when my daughter turns 16, you can ask me again if I really think that curiosity is a, bad, is a good thing or not. But um, curiosity can oftentimes, when channeled with the right uh, perspective, 
with a godly perspective, curiosity can often be a good thing because it produces that desire. And today, hopefully, it's a desire to learn, a desire to grow. And that brings us to the very first characteristic of teachability, and that is, I learned a, I learned a vocabulary word this week. The word is insatiable. Insatiable. The word insatiable simply means, some of you guys are like, you learned that this week? Yeah, I, I don't have a very big vocabulary, believe it or not. But the word insatiable simply means incapable or incapable of being satisfied. Incapable of being satisfied. So you can write it down. The very first characteristic of teachability is insatiable desire to learn and grow. Everyone that is teachable has an insatiable desire to learn and grow. It's an appetite that cannot be satisfied. Today, as we're looking at the characteristics of teachability, we're going to look at a man in the scriptures known as the Apostle Paul. Now, what's funny is last week we talked about roadblocks and we followed a man by the name of King Saul. And actually, what, so what's funny about it is the man that had the characteristics of teachability at one time, his name was Saul, but God later on changed his name to Paul. And that's a lot easier for us today. Thank God he changed his name because otherwise two Sauls with two different things would be really confusing. And today we're going to call him the Apostle Paul. And so as we look at the Apostle Paul and the characteristics of a teachable spirit, of someone that is teachable, we're going to look at some things that he did. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 2, and um, these, these scriptures will be on the screen. However, if, if you don't have a Bible and, and if you don't want to follow, follow the, on the screen, you can also take a deeper look at some of our notes that are on the YouVersion Bible app. It's the number one most downloaded Bible on any smartphone or tablet. It's the YouVersion Bible app. If you have a Bible on your phone, most likely it is the YouVersion app. Uh, you can get on there, go into the event portion, and under events, there will be um, churches that pop up that use YouVersion Bible apps are, that are in within this radius. I believe that we are the only church that is there that use, uses the YouVersion Bible app in this radius. So click on the Refuge Church, and there are our notes for today. Acts chapter 17, verse 2 says this, as, Paul, as was Paul's custom, he went on to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. The Bible says that it was Paul's custom, it was his habit, to go into the synagogues. Now, you have to understand what a synagogue was in the New Testament time of Paul. Synagogues weren't just churches, but synagogues were actually learning centers that the Jewish people would go in order to learn. And so, um, the Apostle Paul goes, uh, made it a habit, he made it his custom to go into the synagogues and to reason with the people. Now, I believe that while the Apostle Paul was there, that it wasn't, that he wasn't only going to set the people straight. Like, like I think some people would have you think that, oh, well, the Apostle Paul, I mean, those people, those, you know, those people in the synagogues, they were some messed up people. So he was going to set them straight. I don't believe that that's what Paul was doing. I believe that Paul was going to the synagogues in order to reason, to discuss, to talk about, to learn, and to grow. And so if the Apostle Paul made it his custom to learn and grow, I think that we should probably also 
make it our custom to learn and grow. And that's why the number one, the, the first characteristic of a teachable spirit is an insatiable desire to learn and grow. My son Graham is, uh, he's 10 years old. And uh, Graham eats like he's 15 or 16, especially on taco night. Like taco night, he's competing with dad. Dad, how many tacos did you eat? Buddy, I'm 37. Like, you're 10. You don't have to compete with me. And um, I think sometimes that Graham has an insatiable appetite incapable of being satisfied. And you know what I've recently noticed about when Graham eats a lot? What I've, what I've noticed a lot of times is he'll eat a lot at dinner, and then the next day, or maybe even that night when we go to bed, he'll, he'll just he'll start crying. I'm like, buddy, what is wrong? He's like, my legs hurt. They look, they hurt so bad. My legs, they hurt so badly. Can I please have some Tylenol? Not good to teach a 10-year-old what Tylenol is, but we evidently have. And um, he, he just wants some, some sort of, of soothing for his leg pain that is caused by the growth in his legs because of his insatiable appetite to eat tacos. It's not just tacos, but it's to eat everything. And so he has this insatiable appetite that produces growth in his life. Ladies and gentlemen, we can learn a lot from the physical body. We learn that, number one, our insatiable appetite to grow, God bless you, by the way, our insatiable appetite to grow, or it causes us to grow. Our insatiable appetite to learn causes us to grow. But we also learn that sometimes growth is painful. Sometimes growth is painful. But it all begins with an appetite. And just like my son that likes to eat in order to grow, we, we have to learn how to feed our desire to grow as well. And so the question this morning is, how do we feed our desire to grow? I'm glad you asked because I've got, I think, six things to help you feed yourself with your desire to grow. Number one, the feeding strategy, number one, is to start expanding your inputs. Start expanding your inputs. Now, this is what I mean. What I mean is um, teachable people crave information. They crave for people to pour into them. They crave input. They know when it, when, when it tastes good, right? They know when the input tastes good. They know when to swallow. They know when it's going to help them. So number one, feeding strategy number one is start expanding your inputs. Get input from everywhere that you can. Feeding strategy number two is improve the abilities that you already have. Improve the abilities that you already have. You, you have abilities. Do what you can to sharpen those abilities. Do everything that you can to learn from those abilities or in those abilities. People that are teachable always want to get better no matter how much they think or how much others may think that they're an expert at what they do. 
Number one, start expanding your input, inputs. Number two, improve the abilities that you already have. Number three, feeding strategy number three is prioritize reaching your potential over everything else. Prioritize reaching your potential over everything else. Remember, this, this whole series isn't, isn't just about success, even though that's kind of the hook that we've used. The hook is success, but the goal is potential. We just simply want everyone in this room to reach their God-given potential. The, potential, the potential that God has inside of you. And so what you have to do in order to reach that potential is you have to make it a priority over everything else. So many times in life, people will, will have to experience a tragedy before they're willing to change. One of my, my pastor, Derek Fry, he's, he's, my, he's, he's my idol. Pastor Derek uh, has a, uh, he's, he can bench 450 pounds, no, no exaggeration. And, um, and when he walks in, you know it, because he walks like this. He can't help it, like he just walks like that. And I love the guy. When, when Derek's dad, when, when he was growing up, his, his dad experienced some heart issues that caused his dad to start running. And, and so Derek, as, as he grew older, he, he, and, and as he grew up, he, he just had a, had a desire to work out. And, and he's, I mean, he, it shows. But as healthy as he was, he had a, a time in his life not too long ago where he actually had a, had a cancer scare. And, and he had cancer. And so he actually changed his eating habits, and he stopped eating gluten completely. And so we'll go out to, to dinner, and, he'll, and, and, and he, he just cut gluten out, out of his diet completely. And the reason he did that was because he had cancer. Now, um, he just, he does his best not to eat gluten. He does every once in a while, and, and, he's, and he's fine. But he changed his eating habits based on the tragedy of, in his life that was cancer. So oftentimes, people wait for tragedy before they change. Now, we could get real and start talking about how people come to know Jesus because of tragedy in their life. I, I pray, ladies and gentlemen, that, that at the end of this ser service, you're going to be confronted with an opportunity to receive Jesus. I pray that it doesn't require a tragedy for you to meet him. I pray that you... Make a change in your life today to follow Jesus because you know that he makes all things better. And so, so oftentimes, we'll, we have to be changed by tragedy, but teachable people prioritize reaching their potential over everything else. Number four is cultivate curiosity. Cultivate curiosity. This goes back to the saying, curiosity killed a cat, but satisfaction brought it back, right? Teachable people understand that it is important to constantly keep one eye open for something new in order to see it and learn it. Cultivate that curiosity. Dig, dig, and dig some more for the sake of learning. Feeding strategy number five is be willing to pay the price to learn. 
be willing to pay the price to learn. Any college student and anyone that has ever attended college can tell you that there is a cost to learn. It's called tuition. Some of you are still paying your tuition in the form of student loans. And learning comes with a cost. Sometimes that tuition is the, the price of, of a lunch with a mentor. Sometimes that tuition is the price of gas to drive to get to where you're going to meet them in order to sit down and to talk and to just absorb. Sometimes I just want to drive down to Massachusetts just to hang around my pastor so that I can just soak, soak it up. Because I, I learn and I grow so much from being there. Teachable people are always willing to pay the price in order to learn and grow. Finally, number six, feeding strategy number six is, is teachable people are willing to delay gratification for the sake of growth. Delay gratification for the sake of growth. It's in the waiting, right? It's in the waiting. Sometimes in order to get to the gratification, it takes courage. There's an NBA team called the Philadelphia 76ers. The Philadelphia 76ers are known, which we don't like Philadelphia these days around here in New England, right? But I'm going to go ahead and talk about them because I'm going to talk about their basketball team, not their football team. And so um, the 76ers are known for this mantra, this motto of trust the process. In fact, um, there's, a, there's a kid on their basketball team. He's a kid. It, it, it's, it's weird for me to call NBA players kids, but they are. They're younger than I am. That's And there's a kid on their team, his name's Joel Embiid. He's known as the process because when they drafted him, he made a big deal about the process because the, the process for the, for the Philadelphia 76ers was to lose games almost on purpose so that they could get better draft picks to, make, to, to draft better people. And so um, Joel Embiid just kind of embraced that whole thing, and, and he's like, I'm, I'm the pro- I am the process. And so, um, so they're known for trusting the process feeding strategy number six is being willing to delay gratification for the sake of growth it's all about the process when we started the refuge church one of my favorite sermons that i heard about leading up to it was um, a guy by the name of randy bijak was the one that gave it and the whole message was about being faithful in the process staying the course Fight to the end. Delay gratification for the sake of growth. The process sucks, but the growth doesn't. But in order to get there, you have got to grow. And when we really, really, really want to grow, when you really want that, We're willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish that growth. We're willing to seek feedback from other people. Pastor Todd Mullins, uh, who is on the ARC board of directors, the ARC ARC is the Association of Related Churches. They're the group of churches that the refuge belongs to. Todd Mullins says this. He said, a teachable spirit is a teachable spirit regardless of the teacher. 
Let me say that again. A teachable spirit is teachable regardless of the teacher. And that brings us to the second characteristic that every teachable person has. And that is an openness to feedback. An openness to feedback. So first you have to have an insatiable desire to grow. Second, you have to be open to feedback. In Acts chapter 15 verse 19, we're going to look at a story of, that the Apostle Paul um, is in. But I want to I set it up for you. This is what's going on. Paul and his friend by the name of Barnabas. Any, anybody named Barnabas today? Anybody here? Any, Barney? Barney's in the house? Um, no, but Barnabas was, was Paul's friend. And, and, and they're, in this, um, they're, they're at this church called the Church of Antioch. It's, it's a city. And, um, and as they're at the Church of Antioch, in Acts chapter 15, you can read all about it in the whole chapter. What's going on is that people are coming to know Jesus. And, and one of the things that I often forget when I read the New Testament and I read the Bible is that when people came to know Jesus back then, um, uh, the majority of them were, were Jews because Jesus was Jew, Jewish. But also there, at this time, there were this other group of people that would come to know Jesus called Gentiles. And so what, what happened in the early church is that it pre, there was, there, they were presented with, this, um, with this, this issue of when Gentiles come to know Jesus, do they need to adopt all the customs that Jewish people had? One of those customs, by the way, fellas, was the custom of circumcision. Talk about conversion rates being low. I'm not signing up for that. And so... So, and if you don't know what circumcision is, you can find, find out uh, later on. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a, a health class afterwards. But during this discussion with the, with the church of Antioch, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, um, they're talking about it. And all of them, they finally say, you know what? Let's, let's take this to the big dogs. Let's go to the apostles. Let's go to the elders. Let's, go, let's, let's take it to, to Peter. And the, the guys that were Jesus' best friends, Peter was one of Jesus' absolute best friends in the New Testament. And so in Acts chapter 15, they take it before the apostles, and they, they ask them the question of, of what, what do we do? And in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, it says, and, and this is Paul that's talking, and it says, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So what happens is the apostles end up, end up siding with Paul. Like they end up, he ends up like, it wasn't a disagreement that he had with the apostles. But here's what we learn about Paul's spirit in Acts chapter 15. We learn that he was willing to accept feedback no matter what the cost. You see, Paul had to travel to get there to the apostles in order to hear from them what the feedback was. And I believe with all of my heart, that if the apostles disagreed with Paul, he would say, fine, we'll do what they want us to do. We'll, allow, we'll, we'll, we'll force them to follow all of the Jewish customs. But the apostle Paul sought after feedback because the second characteristic every teachable person has is they seek feedback. They're open to feedback. And this is where I say, as your pastor, this is something that I am constantly working on. 
constantly working on. Not just accepting feedback, but accepting feedback from other people. And, 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 it's not, and it's not just other people, because let's be honest, when, when my, my mentors and my pastor and, and, and people that I absolutely love and respect, when they pour into me and they, they give me honest feedback, then I receive that a lot easier than someone else that I'm not seeking it from. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But this is, this is an area that I, I work on. I'm not like many other pastors where I'm going to like act like I'm perfect. Not that every other pastor does. But some of them do. I'm far from perfect. And this is something that I always, always work on. And so, in the book, a key to, The Key to Everything by, by Matt Keller, which is where this whole series is out of, Matt gives some strategies to receiving feedback. The first strategy, number one, Number one tip to receiving feedback is listen to others who may be who may not be at your level. Listen to others who may not be at your level. Do we have any golfers in the house? Any golfers? Anybody like to play golf? Yeah, we got some golfers. Everyone else, you just wish that it was golf weather outside. Like you just wish that you could go play golf today even though you don't play golf because that would mean there would be no snow on the ground. This time of year in spring, I've got two events that I absolutely love, and um, actually three events. One of them is going on right now, March Madness, Michigan Wolverines, last night, buzzer beater. Anybody see it? It was amazing. I had to see it this morning because I was asleep when it happened. The second one is opening day of baseball. I absolutely love opening day of baseball. But the third one is the Masters. I don't really like to watch golf, but the Masters golf tournament is amazing because you know that summer is around the corner when the Masters is on CBS. It is, in, it, is, it is great. One of my favorite things about watching golf is, one, the nap, and two, it took a second, but you guys finally got there. It puts me to sleep every time. But the second thing that I love about, about watching golf is I love to watch the relationship between the caddy and the golfer. You see, the caddy is the guy that carries the bag for the golfer. A lot of times, caddies probably played golf in college. They probably played in high school at least, and they probably know a little bit about the game because they're the guy that tells the golfer, so you're about 30 yards out. I think you'll need your nine iron here. You know, so they're the ones that's going to help the golfer line up his shot and help him know which club to use when it's time to use it. But here's what I learned about that relationship. I learned that the golfer, who his name is on the line, the caddy, we don't know any, like, unless you're Tiger Woods, you don't know who the person's caddy is. You don't know anything about that person a lot of the time. He's not the one whose name will be on the leaderboard or on the loser board. There's not a loser board in golf, by the way. But it's not the caddy that gets the recognition. It's the, it's the golfer that does. It's his name that's on the line because he's the one that's playing. He's the pro. But he receives feedback from the caddy, someone that may not be on his level. Do you get what I'm saying? Are you with me? And so as teachable people, we have to be willing, or teachable people that are receiving, on, are open to receiving feedback. First, we have to be willing to receive feedback from people that aren't on our level. Second, we have to cultivate an appropriate response to feedback. Cultivate an appropriate 
response to feedback. And so the next time someone comes to you and gives you feedback, I want you to try five things real quick. Put yourself in their shoes. Second, manage your countenance, which is something that I constantly work on. You know, I'm going to let some out of the bag that's kind of ugly, but I'm going to let it out of the bag this morning. There are times where I'm talking to people, and, 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 and maybe some of you are like, I knew he did that. There are times where I'm talking to you, and I, I check out, and I'm sorry for that. It's something that I work on consistently. Don't check out of a conversation when someone's giving you honest feedback. Receive it and be open to it. So, number one, put yourself in their shoes. Number two, manage your countenance. Number three, refuse to get defensive no matter what is said. That one hurts, too. Don't get defensive when someone gives you feedback that that hurts. That's so hard, especially in marriage. Right? Number four, ask questions if the person is giving feedback that seems apprehensive or hesitant to share details. Number five, don't write off the feedback from people that do not that you do not happen to like. If someone is giving you feedback and you don't happen to like them, ask yourself, if this were my best friends that were giving me this feedback, how would I receive it? If this were my mentor, how would I receive it? Tip number three in uh, receiving feedback is be willing to receive feedback when you don't like how it's being delivered. Be willing to receive the feedback when you don't like how it's being delivered. We all like to order pizza, right? We all like to order pizza. I like to order pizza. And um, although now I live out where people don't like to deliver, I don't know what's up with that. But when you order a pizza a lot of times, or not a lot of the time, some of the time, um, the pizza delivery guy is going to come to your house and and just picture with me someone and, it, and if any of you are pizza delivery guys with a beater car I apologize you got like come and talk to me afterwards and I'll receive your feedback but a pizza delivery guy comes to your your house and and he's got a loud muffler beater car bumping his music and he comes up to your house and he's carrying this delicious pizza from the best pizza place in town. I don't know where you live, so I don't know where the best pizza place is in, in your town. But you got the best pizza in the box. And he comes up to your house, and he's got greasy hair. And he's like, he just beat her car. Are you still going to eat the pizza? Yeah, you're going to eat the pizza. It's going to be delicious. It doesn't matter how it was delivered. It's the same exact way with feedback. Don't throw out the pizza because of the pizza delivery kid. Don't throw out the feedback because you didn't like the way it was delivered. Tip number four, don't just take feedback when it comes. Ask for feedback. Ask for it. Don't just receive it. When someone offers it to you, do not make the other person do the hard work to make you better. Woo! That's good. Don't make 
the other person work harder to make you better. Go to them. Find them. Seek it out. But if we're going to seek feedback, we have to be open to it. And that's going to require the third characteristic. So number one, an insatiable desire to grow and learn. Number two, open to feedback. Number three is a flexible approach to life. Teachable people have a flexible approach to life. The word flexibility simply means capable of being bent, usually without breaking. Capable of being bent, usually without breaking. If you're going to accept feedback, you're going to have to be willing to, to be flexible enough to change when that feedback comes. I believe that this characteristic of teachability, and this is, listen, this series isn't, isn't about, like, you feeling good about yourself. It's not about you being successful so you can feel good about yourself, although we do want you to feel good about yourself. But, but one of the truths about teachability, one of the reasons why we talk about that is because I believe with all my heart that this characteristic God seeks in his children. He wants us to be so flexible that we're willing to be obedient no matter what he asks us to do. Let me say that again. God wants us to be so flexible that we are willing to be obedient no matter what he asks us to do. And here's why. Because flexibility is the prerequisite, the requirement for obedience. If you're going to obey, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to bend. But too many people, when it comes to teachability, aren't flexible enough in order to receive the feedback, in order to change how they act. Flexibility is a prerequisite to obedience. I believe that God is able to use anyone that is flexible. If you want to talk to any, and, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back. Listen, I, I will tell you when I fail, I will tell you when I succeed. And one of the things that I've succeeded, that I've managed to succeed at by the grace of God, is being flexible to his obedience, his requirement of my obedience. I was never more flexible than when I packed up my family of four, living in a comfortable house in southern Illinois, to move to Maine to start a church. I had never needed to be more flexible than that time. And so if you struggle with flexibility, I offer my assistance. Anything that you need when it comes to learning about being flexible, especially when it comes to the obedience of God in your life, I would be willing to answer questions with you all. Let's, let's go have lunch. Let's go get coffee. Let's talk about what it's going to require for you to be more flexible. And so when it comes to our flexibility, we have to do three things. Number one, we have to be willing to adapt. Flexibility requires adaptation because change is always inevitable when it comes to being flexible. You're going to have to change. That's why you don't like to be flexible. Number two, flexibility doesn't allow you to become set in your ways. 
You can't become set in your ways and so stubborn that you won't change when it comes to being flexible. Number three. Uh, but but before, I, before I get to number three, let me just read for you a scripture that the Apostle Paul showed us, um, illustrated to us, his um, ability to not be set in his ways. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says this. Paul wrote, and he said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection of, for which Jesus Christ first possessed first possessed me so the apostle paul said listen i'm not perfect i'm willing to change because of jesus he refused to believe that he had perfected anything now number three flexibility doesn't allow us to freak out about a lateral move Flexibility doesn't allow us to freak out about a lateral move. This, this point about flexibility is about the whole bus. It's about loving the bus that you're on more than the seat that you're in. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Love the bus more than you love the seat. If I put it in terms of the church, love the church more than you love your role. Because sometimes, in church especially, we have to learn to move the seat on the bus. Stay on the bus, but just change seats to find out where you are able to be used the absolute most and make it about the bus more than the seat. Characteristic number four, of every teachable person, they have an appropriate view of success. Every teachable person has the appropriate view of success. You can tell a lot about a person by how they handle success, can't you? When success comes, sometimes people get funny about their success. Success changes a man. The Apostle Paul is one of the most successful writers in all of history. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, the, the part of the New Testament that included stories about Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was responsible for spreading Christianity at its, at its, at its very beginning. People are Christians today because of the Apostle Paul. And yet, look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, in, could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I, am, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel, and I am a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. If there ever was one, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Verse 6. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed it without the law. Now look at verse 7 and 8 because they're so important. I once thought that these things were valuable. I once thought that all these checks, all these things that everyone wants, looks at for success, I once thought that those were, about, were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because 
of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Success was garbage in the eyes of Paul. So that I could gain Christ. The reason we want you to reach your potential is because of Jesus. Not because of you. We want you to see that when you relinquish control, when you let go of control in your life, that you you will experience more success because of Jesus. The way you relinquish that control is to give it all over to him. That's why we talk about teachability. Success is one of the greatest threats to your teachability. But here's what's crazy about that. Is that the result of teachability is also success. Success is the greatest threat, one of of the greatest threats to your teachability. But the problem with that is that success is also a threat to your teachability. Talk about a paradox. There are three reasons that success can can be a threat to your teachability. Reason number one is we will trust too much in our own natural abilities and stop learning from others. When we become successful, we start to look at our own self. We start to look at our own abilities, our own natural abilities. And stop learning from other people. Remember in week one, we said, we said this. In week one, we said that all the talent in the world, all the success in the world minus teachability equals loss of potential. All the talent in the world minus teachability equals loss of potential. Reason number two that success is a threat to your teachability is that we think or others think that we are something special. So oftentimes, when we become successful, other people can start to point to us and say, man, there's something special. And we begin to actually believe them. The more successful you become, the more we may have to fight to get accurate information from people around us. John Maxwell, leadership guru, says this. He says, when you are influential and highly respected, people tend to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. They're seeking your approval or they flatter you. Unfortunately, that creates a gap between what we hear and reality. If you find yourself in that situation, you need to work extra hard to get the people close to you to speak honestly into your life. In which I say to Mr. Maxwell, Mr. Maxwell, you have not done ministry in New England because they always going to tell you the truth. Right. That's why I love working in New England. Because if I stink, I, I, I hear it. But this is also why I'm married. I have a wife, and she will always be honest with me. She will always give me honest feedback. But if you're going to be, if, if you're going to experience success, we have to manage the way we receive the feedback, but we also have to manage um, what other people, like, that we don't, always think that we're something special. Number three, 
the reason number three that success is a threat to your teachability is we think that because we know something, we know it all. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the summary of every church planter that I've ever known. I think because we know something, we know it all. Maybe not church planter, but Bible college graduate. For some reason, I don't know, people that are in, in Bible, maybe it's, maybe it's every profession, I don't know. We think because we know something, we know it all. Have you ever heard of the, the curse of knowledge? The curse of knowledge is actually, like, you can look it up, you can Google it. But um, the curse of knowledge basically says this. It says, the more we know about something, about a subject, the harder that it is to receive from those that know less about that subject. The more we know about a subject, the harder it is to receive from someone that knows less about that subject than we do. So all these things, all these threats to our teachable, teachability, the question now is how do we get rid of those threats? Real quick, three remedies to, um, to remedying, to, to, to fixing the threat to our teachability. Number one, be more concerned about our success than my success. Be more concerned about our success than my success. At the refuge, we celebrate our wins, not my wins. This isn't about me. It's about a team. Be a team player. That's, that's what this is. Remedy number two is be generous with your success. I love this one. Be generous with your success. Because oftentimes, when it comes to success, success oftentimes brings increase. Either a promotion, maybe that promotion may... Uh, give us more money. Sometimes that that increase in our success gives us some sort of of advancement, some sort of increase. Be generous with that. And I'm not I'm not saying that to 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 ask you to give it to the church. I'm just saying give it away. Like like just just be generous with the increase of your success. And guess what'll happen? More success will come. If, if you, I mean, it's, I don't believe in karma, but it's the whole concept of paying it forward, right? It's, it's, it's just do, do good to other people and other people will do good to you. Be generous, be generous with your success. Finally, number three, the remedy number three to avoiding success as a threat to our teachability is recognize that success is fragile and temporary. People are not going to remember you 100 years from now. I'm sorry. 100 years from now? So, in order, so, so we have to realize that success is temporary. It's fragile. It can break at any moment. And if success is one of the characteristics that gives us one of, the, one of the characteristics, I'll get it out in a minute. If success is one of the characteristics of teachability and managing that, then guess what else we have to manage when it comes to teachability? Failure. We have to manage our failure when it comes to teachability, and that's characteristic number five. An ability to handle failure. Teachable people are able to manage their failure well. They're able to fail and get back up again. 
The Apostle Paul was able to endure different kind of failure. Really, it was a failure of other people because he was often let down. He was often beaten and put in prison for the sake of the gospel. He endured prison multiple times, and he endured being sentenced to death. Paul's mission did not always go as he had planned it. And because of that, we can, often, we, we, we can look at Paul's potential at failing as being really high. But he didn't fail. Why? Because he pushed past the failure. Paul handled his mistreatment with courage and perseverance. In Paul's second letter to a kid by the name of Timothy, I say a kid because he was his, um, he was a kid that, that he was pouring into. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those who, who uh, those God has chosen. Paul was willing to fall down and get back up, and he was willing to be beaten and pushed through the pain for the sake of the gospel. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. Failure is inevitable. But the question is, will you get back up? The problem with failure is this. Number one, it shakes our confidence. This is me, guys, clearly. Failure always shakes my confidence. It makes me think that I'm not good enough. It tends to reveal our, who we truly are. It tends to reveal our true self. There's nothing like shining light on who you are than failure. Finally, failure can cause us to question everything. Failure causes us to question everything. For example... One fight with your spouse, one fight with your spouse can cause you to question your entire marriage. Because failure causes you to question everything. Teachable people look at failure through a completely different lens than most people. I want to conclude today's message by giving you three ways that people push through failure that are teachable. Number one, they turn the spotlight off themselves. Take the pressure off. Turn the spotlight off of yourself. John Maxwell says this. He says, experience is not the teacher. Examined experience is. Examine your experience. Use your failure as an opportunity to, experience, to examine yourself and to look at how you can do better. The second lens that teachable people look at failure through is they refuse to rush past the failure. So oftentimes, failure hurts so badly that we just want to get past it. We just want to get through the failure because it hurts. Slow down and face the situation Fully, no matter how much time it takes, because guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, pain takes time to heal. 
there are probably some pretty harsh failures in this room. I know because I've had some pretty harsh failures in my life. Some failures can lead to maybe disqualification of some sort. It doesn't matter what kind of failure it was. I mean, if you mess up at work, you get fired. I don't know what failure you feel like you've experienced. I hope that your failure has, has had time to heal. Truth of the matter is, maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's really fresh. Maybe it's really fresh. We want to help you heal that pain. We want to help God heal that pain. We want to be the community that surrounds you and says it's okay and picks you back up again. That's why we need the church. To pick us up when we fail because we do fail. When I stop and take responsibility for failure, I instantly get to move from the blame, the blame game, or suspicion mode, and I get to get to the learning mode. And dissecting a problem in order to learn is way better than dissecting a problem in order to put the blame on someone else. Dissecting a problem or a failure, a lot of times, is, it's so much, it, it's easy to dissect a problem or a failure in order to point the blame at someone else. But when I dissect it in order for me to learn from it, oh man, it's so much better. And healing comes so much quicker. So stop dissecting the problem in order to blame someone else. We live in a culture that loves to blame other things and other people. It's time that we stand up and say, you know what, maybe I'm a little bit responsible for that. We blame so many stupid things or stupid actions. Lens number three. Teachable people don't let failure define them. They don't let failure define them. I think a couple of weeks ago we said that, that shame was the thing that, that Satan uses for you to identify with the mistake. Failure does not define you. Your sin doesn't define you. The greatest asset that you can possess when it comes to handling failure is the refusal to allow that failure, failure to permanently define you. The only way that failure is final is if you allow it to be. That's it. The only way that your failure will define you is if you allow it to. The only way that your failure will be final in your life is if you allow it to. A couple weeks ago, I was on my way to church 
and for whatever reason, I was had all these thoughts going through my mind. What if no one shows up? Every week, by the way, is what if no one shows up? You guys show up every week, and I'm so glad you do. But a couple weeks ago, I was on my way to church, and had all these thoughts in my mind that ultimately made me think, what if I fail? What if we fail? And as those thoughts into my mind, I, I instantly began to pray and, and seek God because, well, because I was on my way to church, if I'm honest. Because there are times during the week that I start to think those stupid thoughts, and I don't stop and pray. That's on me. So I'm on my way to church, and I've got these thoughts of failure in my mind. I'm, I just start to pray, and I start to, to, to ask God, God, just help me not to fail. And as soon as I said those words, it was, it was like God whispered to me, Adam, you can't fail. I started to think about that. I was like, God, you're right. You ever argue with God like, or, like, or confirm that God is right? God, you're right. I, I can't fail because, because I'm doing this for Jesus. And here's what I want you to know this morning. And that is Jesus died. And rose again on the third day. We're getting ready to celebrate that resurrection. That day that Jesus conquered failure. He rose from the dead in order to conquer death. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing like failing other than dying. So oftentimes we can look at death as failure. But Jesus changed that whole perspective because... He died and he rose again in order to conquer our failure. And when I stopped and I realized that I can't fail because I do this for him, it changed the game. And it'll change the game in your life, too. When you realize that no matter what, that you are bought with a price, you are forgiven, and that you cannot fail, it changes the way you look at everything. So I don't know what you failed at this week. I don't know what you will fail at next week. I know I failed this last week. I know that I will fail again next week. But I want you to take courage and know that you cannot fail in the eyes of Jesus. But here's why. Because of what he has done. Do me a favor, bow your head, close your eyes. We're almost done. I just, I just want to take a moment and reflect. And as we reflect, my friends are coming to the stairs. 
they're doing that to pray with you. They're praying for you right now, but they're also here so that when we're done, that, that you can come forward and you can receive prayer this morning. When Jesus died, he died for our sins. You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin, the, the price of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way we fail is without Jesus. If you want to receive the inability to fail in your life, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that. It has nothing to do with you. And you know, there are times in my life, again, I, I do fail. So Adam, how, how can you say that you don't fail when you obviously already said that you do? You've contradicted yourself so many times. Here's how I can say that. Because when I fail now, it's completely different. I feel completely different about myself. I am able to stand with confidence knowing that I belong to Jesus, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I've done. I am forgiven because of the blood that he shed for me on the cross. You are forgiven because of the blood that he shed on the, on, on the cross. But the question is, have you received that forgiveness? Have you received it? Because it's just like any other present. If you don't receive it, it's not yours. I want to give you an opportunity to receive that this morning. If you want to receive it, I'm, I'm not going to have anyone raise their hand this morning. I'm not going to put a spotlight on anyone. I just want to ask you to say this prayer with me. And then on the, the terrible portion of your worship, God, I want you to check the box that said, I'm committing to follow you follow Jesus today. Say this prayer with me. Say, God, I know that I have failed. I know that I have done wrong. And because I have done wrong, I know I need Jesus in my life. I need what he did for me on the cross to be mine. So God, I receive that the best way that I know how. I ask you to come into my life and to save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, again, just take that card. Give it to me on your way out. Drop it in the box. We want to make it as easy as possible. But let's do our best this week to live with teachability. Can we do that? Can we do that? Give God a hand for what he did today and what he's done. Do me a favor, stand with me, sing this song, and we'll be dismissed.